0: Hello, and welcome to the Feminine Genius Podcast. This is a podcast that celebrates all women of God and their unique genius. I'm your host, Rachel Wong. For this week's episode, we're touching on a topic that is very near and dear to my heart, mental health within the Catholic context. I'm joined today by Maribel Laguna, a licensed professional counselor based in Texas and the co-owner of In His Image Counseling Center. When Maribel started discerning what she wanted to do after she graduated from university, she vowed that she would never become a Catholic counselor. But God had other plans for her, and through coming in contact with the wisdom and the tradition of the Catholic Church, Maribel brought together her faith as well as her passion in psychology. Now, she works with people of all backgrounds, and in particular, she helps young people navigate their mental health issues so that they can flourish in all aspects of their life and their vocation. In this conversation, Maribel and I talk about how she got into psychology and counseling, the impact that singing sacred polyphony had on her faith, and how St. Thomas Aquinas tied together faith and mental health for her. Hi
1: Maribel. Hi, how are you Rachel? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. I'm surviving COVID, so I think that's good news. (laughs) That's so wonderful.
0: Yes, I know we've connected a couple months back and I'm glad to hear that you're
1: surviving COVID and hopefully thriving as well. Yes, it's been an interesting journey, I think, for all of us. (laughs) Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So maybe, Maribel, to start off, if you could maybe introduce yourself to our listeners and share a little bit
1: about what you do right now. Well, my name is Maribel Laguna. I'm a licensed professional counselor in Texas. And part of what I do is I work with young adults who are struggling with certain mental health issues that are keeping them from Fluition of their vocation. I find that a lot of young adults are so hungry for self-growth and self-actualization, but they don't recognize some of the mental health issues that are keeping them from having a fuller life. And of course, as we know, in young adulthood is where we're typically exploring different vocations, whether it be a career-based vocation or a faith-based vocation. What I do is help them heal on a natural level so that they can have more freedom in their discernment. Mm-hmm.
0: I think that that's so powerful too, just because we all have dreams and we have desires. But as you're alluding to, sometimes there can be very natural things. We don't even recognize that it's kind of keeping us from maybe attaining that so when I hear that, at least, and kind of being in the stage of life that I'm in, I think that it's just such an important thing to talk about, but also it makes me reflect on my own life and where are some areas that I could maybe improve. And I think that this is where this all comes in. So have you always been interested in becoming
1: a counselor or like, what was that journey like? Well, I started off pre-med, but I quickly realized that the side of blood made me faint. (laughs) And so I thought, okay, I've already declared this major psychology in order to get the prerequisites for medical school. I think I'm going to just stick with the major and forget about the medical school piece. I found it very interesting just learning about why people do what they do and just different types of psychological disorders and how they originate. And I found myself being so interested in it that I thought, you know what, I'm going to take a break after undergrad and just let that interest sit. And I'm going to see what happens with that interest. You know, am I called to do something just with a bachelor's or am I called to go to graduate school? And so I started working in this early intervention program and I was sitting with a family because I was their service coordinator. And when I was there, I realized that what they really needed was psychological help. And I felt ill-equipped. And so it was, I guess, the interest that was sitting there, but then also the humility of not knowing enough. The discomfort of those conflicting feelings really catapulted me into exploring graduate school and applying. I was telling someone the other day, I probably got the bare minimum score to even get into graduate school. The day of the GRE, I got there an hour late. I applied last minute. It was like all these last minute things. And it was kind of like my Hail Mary. (laughs) And, And I think that Jesus must really listen to his mother because (laughs) I got in and I thought, wow, this is a miracle in and of itself. And so after that, you know, I did graduate school and that whole bit. And I swore up and down that I would never, ever, ever be a Catholic counselor, right? If you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans or also tell him what you will never, ever do. (laughs) And (laughs) I just think that God really respects my free will, apparently, but he is very patient and slowly showed me that's not what he had planned. Mm -hmm. And through my interest in learning and helping clients heal on a deeper level, I realized that God was inviting me to use my Catholic identity as part of the instrument for change. And I just couldn't say no. And so now I'm, I guess, in. (laughs) I've drank the Kool-Aid 100% and that's part of the reason I'm involved, not just on the local level. I'm unapologetically a Catholic counselor, but also nationally. I'm part of the Catholic Psychotherapy Association and helping organize conferences to help other mental health practitioners understand what it's like to integrate faith and sound evidence-based psychological practice. I think there's a lot of work still to be done in our field and in collaborating with the church. And a lot of it is based on, you know, psychology probably really messed up in the early years when they collaborated with the church. But now I think we're making a better comeback, especially through this organization. And I hope that we can work in greater collaboration to help God's people heal.
0: Yeah, and you touched there on your Catholic identity, and I love that quote about if you want to make God laugh, tell Him your plans or tell Him what you absolutely do not want to do with your life. So, of course, we're going to jump into Catholicism and counseling within the Catholic Church and all that, but I'd love to also hear your faith journey, like how you've come to cultivate this Catholic identity and the journey that you've taken
1: with that. Well, I'm, I guess, um, there's this phrase in Spanish. I should also say that Spanish is my first language. So sometimes emotionally I go to that language to try to explain something. But there's this phrase that says you're a red-boned Catholic. That means that you're so Catholic that the blood of Catholicism runs through your bones. (laughs) And so I was born Catholic and raised Catholic. But I think all of that is good. But there's a point where you have to make that your own. And I would say that part of that journey was going to University of Dallas, and it's a pretty well-known Catholic university in the United States. But also, how is it that I put that into practice and kind of put some flesh on the bones of Catholicism? Probably singing Latin music, (laughs) singing sacred polyphony. In my university, there was a small group called Collegium Cantorum. And part of our mission was going to different countries and different parishes, even locally, and singing sacred Latin music. It was this experience of intellectually knowing, obviously, the piece, having translated the Latin into English so you could really understand it. But there was this sense of this dynamic that would come into play as all of us sang together as one voice. Just thinking about that experience still gives me chills. And it was through kind of those relationships, but then also the expression of those relationships through music that really converted my heart to see that there is something that you can do as an instrument. So your voice is an instrument. That really inspires people, even though they might not be able to understand the translation of the Latin. Mm. Singing sacred polyphony is like putting your toe in heaven, <laughs> being able to touch it just slightly. And so I think that converted my heart into knowing that, hey, this faith that I've learned through classes or in my home life really has flesh and really can be an instrument of change. Mm-hmm. If something as simple as my voice can be a participation in the conversion of others, imagine if the other parts of myself were also trained, whether that be my mind, my habits, my routine. If we engage in that training in every area of our lives, then every area of our lives should be an instrument for change for others.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, it's not lost on me that now the counseling center that you work for, it's called In His Image. Like one part of you, like your voice in your case, but also when we're able to integrate every part of our being, which is literally made in His image and use that as a vehicle to bring the faith to other people, like how much more can we do? So that's such a beautiful thing. And I think that it also just speaks to you know, this beauty that really attracted you to these Latin songs or hymns, but also using that as a way to reach other people in the faith.
1: And I think that it reminds me of Edith Stein, who like is one of my favorite saints. She says, the world needs who we are. And I think that she's calling us to use every single part of who we are.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I've kind of touched on it In his image, counseling, and I remember that this was how we got connected. As someone who has gone through counseling before, I was very excited to see that there are people out there who want to integrate the Catholic faith or just faith in general into their practice of counseling or psychotherapy or what have you. There was a point where you didn't want to be a Catholic counselor. You never thought that you would end up where you are now. But what was the point that you realized that I have this desire in psychology, but I also have my faith? And that moment that you realized that these two can't be separate anymore.
1: Well, I think that the wisdom of our church has been... Part of that instrument, you know, I talked about the tradition of sacred polyphony, also the tradition of St. Thomas Aquinas, who was directly quoted in our catechism. He really brought all of this together for me in reading what he wrote about the passions, which now we can translate as the emotions, and his understanding of the integration of the passions with reason and will. That was really the base of my conversion to accepting the call to be a Catholic therapist. So there is a psychiatrist, a pretty well-known Catholic psychiatrist, who wrote in the 70s, you know, he's now deceased, Dr. Conrad Bars. And what he did is he and Anna Terua took the work of St. Thomas Aquinas and applied it to psychology. And they developed a type of therapy based on the philosophy of St. Thomas Aquinas. And so by understanding that type of therapy and really the integration of what we understand as Catholic anthropology into sound clinical practice is how I realize: oh, wait, you can actually do good therapy that's evidence-based. You can do good therapy that is researched and effective and integrate the faith. And this is how you do it. Because I think that I didn't have the language to be able to explain it to clients. It was kind of like the way I had been doing therapy all along, which is meeting people where they are, affirming their goodness, trying to see people as Jesus sees them, and then validating the fact that other people in their lives had not seen them with these eyes. Mm -hmm. And so it was already how I was being with clients, but I finally had a language to call it what I was doing instinctually. <laughs> really, it was Dr. Conrad Bars in conjunction with St. Thomas Aquinas that showed me the way to be integrated.
0: Yeah, very divinely inspired. And like you said, I think that so many times there is that misconception that our church is opposed to reason or opposed to sound science, but we have these brilliant scholars and saints who have done so much work and who have done so much reading and writing that really have helped us to get to where we are. And I think on a deeper level too, like you're saying, at the heart of it, Each of us bring Jesus and we have Jesus in us. And what you were saying, like meet people where they're at, seeing Jesus in them in a way that maybe no one else had before. It's that beauty of recognizing our design as well as that basis and foundation of sound reasoning that is incredibly powerful. And I think that especially as Catholics, like I know that for myself, there's always been this misconception that we can't receive counseling or we shouldn't receive counseling. Mm-hmm. And you know, what has that been like for you to navigate the challenges or pushback that people may have given you
1: over the years? I think as Catholics we fall into the temptation of spiritualizing psychological issues. Mm-hmm. And so my comeback usually is what do we do that with cancer? Would we ignore the symptoms of cancer? Would we ignore science-based treatment or evidence-based treatment for cancer and simply hope that there is a spiritual healing there? Well, no. Because remember, God works on the natural level. And so on the natural level, we would go to a physician. We would explore treatment options. We would choose a treatment option. We would engage in that treatment option. And during that whole process, we would be able to access certain spiritual gifts. And so it's more about working in collaboration. But first, we start on the natural level. And yes, we might go to Lourdes and hope for healing and things like that and do a pilgrimage there. It doesn't negate that that is true and that God does work through miracles, but it also requires for us to do the hard work on the natural level. When I explain it like that to clients or potential clients or groups of priests or groups of sisters I think it makes a lot of sense because it reminds you of kind of like the way St. Thomas explained the first mover, right? We we look at this thing in the natural world. Okay, well, who made that? Well, who made that? Well, who made that? And we have to go to the spiritual at some point, but we first start at the natural. Mm
0: -hmm. And maybe from here, I'd love to dive into your practice working at In His Image Counseling. Like you're saying, at some point, yes, we do make it into the spiritual, but there is a lot of hard work that needs to take place. And the moment you said over-spiritualizing, whether it's like counseling or psychology, I was just like, yes, this is a conversation that I have with so many different people. I'd love for you to share a little bit about the practice and when it was formed and the different types of programs that you offer.
1: News Image Counseling Center really started with my business partner, Sue Bars, in San Antonio, Texas. And it was in the 90s, and we're starting a YouTube channel, so we were shooting our video for that. And she was telling the history of the practice, and she said she was really called to go into prayer practice, was praying about it, and she's like, I need a name. And she woke up in the middle of the night, and I think the Holy Spirit was just like, hello here you go. <laughs> and the phrase in his image came to her. And so not really was, she thought a title that captured what we do and a title that captured affirmation therapy, which is this therapy that I've talked about based on the philosophy of St. Thomas Aquinas. Later on, you know, she moved to Dallas, the Dallas area. And fast forwarded some years, you know, we met and then we decided to establish a partnership and from that you know really a mentorship developed but also a friendship and it's very neat to see how we kind of work in tandem but through that relationship other therapists have joined us Mm -hmm. you know whether they met her at a conference or whether they met me at wherever some of our goals are training therapists to integrate faith with sound clinical practice. And we have consult groups and we have times where we meet just to have dinner. And so what we really like to do is create a community within our practice. Because if we practice building relationship, whether it be a professional relationship, whether it be professional development, but also just leisure, then we can model that to clients and it naturally comes out in the therapeutic relationship in that professional relationship. And the other thing that we like to do is provide psychoeducation for our community, whether it be our local community or national community. And we present to all sorts of groups, whether it be a young adult group or Sue presented at the courage conference this past year, you know, I'm scheduled to present at another conference in the near future. And so it's like, what we want to do is get the education out there. So people start realizing, oh my gosh, yes, this is what I've been dealing with. And again, I don't want to negate the importance of this. I've been praying this novena and that novena, and and I'm not seeing any results from that. And I think people get frustrated because they're seeking that healing. But They forget about this natural piece, And I think there's a lot of fear also of Catholic therapy or just about therapy in general in the Catholic world because I think people are fearful that a therapist will mislead them and will tell them confession is not important or you know what, it's okay to cohabitate or whatever, get divorced. And so I think that part of this marriage, right, of psychology and catholic teaching it creates a safe space for clients a a place where they can come and know that we're following the magisterium and so we want that space that safety to be advocated even in the public square Mm -hmm. to be advocated you know as we give these presentations
0: and this piece about education and accessibility to that knowledge, because I feel like so many times, and myself included, we can make decisions based on hearsay, what we can kind of sort of dig up on the internet. And I think that especially now with the internet right at our fingertips, we can make very rash decisions based on what we can quickly see on social media or talking to a couple people. And yet, like what I'm hearing from you is making that education accessible and not just education on therapy, for example, but that marriage. I I love the term that you use, like that marriage between the Catholic faith and therapy, psychology, And really inserting your voices in there, you know, your own faith, which I think is incredibly important.
1: I think it's something that we're missing both in, I went to a secular school and obviously I've been Catholic my whole life, but in both spheres, there's a lot of fear. Mm -hmm. And so in our training programs, sometimes we're taught, don't talk about the faith, you know, leave your faith at the door. Well, now positive psychology is finding that faith is one of the biggest determinants of resiliency or predictors of resiliency. And so a person with faith has proven to be much more resilient than someone who doesn't have faith. And so actually we're not in opposition at all. If we figure out how to work in tandem, you know, think about what we can do for people. Especially, again, it kind of brings me back to your time singing
0: polyphony in college and just thinking about how your voice as one part of you, and again, integrating every single part of you, which would include faith. That is a huge Mm -hmm. part of people's identity, especially for you and I as Catholics. So it's like for a patient to not be able to integrate that if they wish, of course, but for them to maybe sideline that out of fear or for a counselor on the other side of the, I guess, of that counseling appointment for them to, again, if the client wishes, if they're not able to integrate that, I can see that it could also maybe like bring up some barriers as well, or at least it may not be able to help tell the whole story of what a person might be dealing with.
1: And I think you bring up a good point. Like if the client wants that, you know, the professional relationship, the client therapist relationship is a very respectful one, but one that requires the therapist's willingness to walk on sacred ground. And there's a lot of clients, and I don't deny this, who have been very hurt by the church or people in the church. They wouldn't be ready to necessarily directly talk about the faith or directly talk about their relationship with God. Mm -hmm. And that's okay because we're meeting the client where they are, we're respecting the space in which they are, and we're gently helping them heal so that they can make that decision about their spirituality on their own. It doesn't have to be something that's forced and it shouldn't be something that's forced by the therapist. Yeah, and it's
0: just like God reaching out. You know, he is the one that will always reach out and kind of meets us where we're at. And you have that beautiful image on your website of God reaching out to Adam. And it's wonderful just because it really shows that no matter where we are or how far we feel like we've gone, he's always the one that reaches out. He's always the one that meets us where we're at. And I think that it's a beautiful thing that you folks are doing. And one thing that I wanted to jump into a little deeper, because this is something that prior to meeting you, I didn't even realize was a thing, but you were talking about self actualization and helping young people really learn more about themselves and maybe even recognize some of the barriers that they have. I'm curious to hear a little bit more about that and how you came to do this kind of practice alongside some of the other counseling type practices that you do?
1: Well, I think that as a young adult, I'm not a young adult anymore, but when I was a young adult, I think I was also searching, right? What is God calling me to do? I think you can hear that in what I explained, you know, it's like I have this interest, but what am I supposed to do with it? However, in that search, There were people along the way that really supported me and whether it was just healthy friendships, healthy, good friendships, people that can call you out in the middle of the store and say, Hey, what are you doing? You're not meant for this. You're meant for something greater, Mm -hmm. but then also a spiritual director and a counselor and just all these people that were in my life that helped guide me when I was searching and they were kind of like those little markers <laughs> when you're in a campground. Oh, okay, this is a trail. Get back on the trail. <laughs> and so we all need those people in our lives. Mm-hmm. But what I'm starting to see is that our society is very broken. I don't think that's any news to anyone. I see that young adults, because they've lived in that broken world, and we all live in it, mm-hmm. sometimes the markers are not as clear. And so counseling can be one of those markers that sort of points them towards that next marker and the next marker. And it's a tool that can help people heal again on the human level. John Paul II revolutionized seminary formation. He talks about four pillars of formation, human, pastoral, intellectual, and spiritual. He says that the most important pillar is the human pillar. And so we all know that because of our broken society and, of course, some broken families, that we lack human formation. And John Paul II also said that his first house of formation or his first seminary was when he saw his father kneeling in front of the Virgin Mary and praying the rosary. When we miss out on those lessons in our family of origin, we sometimes don't have adequate human formation. To be able to make a full and informed decision. And so he outlines self knowledge is necessary for self restraint, which is then necessary for self gift. And the self knowledge piece is a lot of us have been stuck there. What is it that I know about myself that I've harnessed, right? Not repress, just harness, guide so that at some point I can be a self-gift either to the church, to another in marriage, maybe to a ministry, You know, if people are called to the single life. And one thing that I have found is that when we don't address the human pillar and when we don't address increased self-knowledge, our capacity for self-gift is limited.
0: Absolutely. That just reminds me of if we are cups filled with water, for example, like we can only pour out as much as we have inside. And I feel like, you know, when I think back on my own life too, sometimes you give or you give or you just try and chase after so many things, but you really have no idea what's going on inside. From there, it can lead to all sorts of problems and issues like burnout or really
1: feeling lost and anxious. And kind of being overly self-reliant, that you must do it on your own or you must follow X rule, you know, whether it be in your faith or whatever book that you see out there, but then you lose kind of that freedom of living out of the pleasure emotions, which are desire, love, all those that really is where our vocation starts. I think we all know that we're called to be saints, but heck. I need to want to be a saint first. I can't will myself to be a saint or I can't be a saint just because I'm scared of going to hell. No, it's much easier if we want it, if we desire sainthood. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's kind of a big, big V. But then more specifically, I desire to be a saint in this way. I desire marriage or I desire religious life or this thing about priestly life feels very attractive to me. What is that about?
0: For sure. And when it comes to encouraging young people, especially maybe those who may listen to this and they may kind of either be stuck or on the fence or even, wow, it's like I've listened to this and now I'm not even sure about who I am or like where I'm meant to go anymore. Do you have any advice for young folks who may feel kind of lost on the journey?
1: I give this advice to most of my clients and they probably get tired because they're like, oh, there she goes again, like a broken record. But really taking time to write down what you want. Your desires are naturally good. I think there's been some misinformation about that. but It's like God made us good and he made our desires good. And so let's just write down what you want. And at first you may come up with like some things like, oh, I want a million dollars. Okay, that just let that be. Okay, or I want a new car. Let that be. That's okay. But as you explore that further and further and further, you'll start seeing that there's deeper wants. And as you get connected to those deeper wants, then you'll start making decisions based on those deeper wants. In order for you to do that, you really need to create space and time. And I'm not talking about writing for five minutes. I'm talking about like, let's just sit in silence for 15 and then write for five. Okay, so we need the time for reflection and exploration. And then we need the time to integrate reason by using our minds, which directs our writing skills it's important for people to practice that every day because again, that will guide daily decisions that will eventually help us see kind of this bigger goal. Now, I also want to acknowledge that there's a lot of fear. I'll speak from personal experience. I also went to visit different religious orders and I was like, Oh God, I'm just really scared. I just really hope you don't call me to be a nun <laughs> or sister. But when I was there, I realized, oh my gosh, these people are kind of normal. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe there's not that much I need to be afraid of. But when I faced that fear, that was part of my journey of discerning, oh, okay, well, I'm not scared anymore. I see religious life for what it is, but I still desire marriage. Being open to even that exploration, I think, is good. Sitting with the fear, letting the fear be there, acknowledging the fear. But then still making some courageous moves. Okay, still so choosing courage. And I'm really afraid to go to this St. Andrew's dinner. But because, hey, what the heck do I have to lose? Sure, I'll go. Or I'm really scared to call the vocations director. Well, they're usually pretty nice. <laughs> Their job is to be nice to make it attractive to doing religious life or priestly life. And maybe it's just a conversation, and that's it. You don't, you're not committing to going to seminary just because you had one conversation. It's usually a little bit more involved than that.
0: Absolutely. Yes, and all my fellow overthinkers, you know I think we can all rejoice in that fact too, because many times, and when I think back on when it came to making that big step or that courageous step, as you're saying, We have such active imaginations that we can already start thinking out, like, okay, if they say this, what's my next move? Or we already start thinking 10, 15, 50 years into the future about something that hasn't even happened yet. And at the end of the day, all we can do really is try and calm ourselves down and quiet our minds. And I think, like, you know, at the heart of what you're saying there too is really being able to listen in the same way that you do for your clients. But for us, after we receive that treatment or therapy and whatnot, also taking that time to really be still and know that He is God, as it says in scriptures, and allow ourselves to be immersed in that, which is super important.
1: I loved what my spiritual director said once, which is, God came in a whisper. And so I'm like, yeah, if we're really busy in our lives and just filled with the noise, the noise of busyness, we would not be able to detect a whisper. But sometimes that whisper is lying very, very deep within ourselves. And so if we don't pull back the layers again of, of our wants and our another want and a deeper want and a deeper want, we won't be able to hear the whisper. Mm,
0: that was a lot of wisdom. Oh, my goodness. I don't know about you listeners. I'm feeling <laughs> I'm feeling very seen right now and also very encouraged. So like Maribel, I just want to thank you for the work that you and your partners are doing at In His Image, both locally, but also nationally and because I'm in Canada, internationally. So thank you for the work (laughs) and for your yes. But I think just as we kind of wind down here, obviously, this podcast looks at the feminine genius. And as an outsider, I have no doubt that this is what you have that all of us as women have, and you had referenced Edith Stein earlier, a saint that I also love very, very much. And I would love to hear your own reflections on your personal feminine genius and how you've seen that develop.
1: I think it's still developing, <laughs> and and takes a lot of arm wrestling with God, but you know, he usually wins anyway. So, <laughs> but. I think he's letting me arm wrestle with him because he wants to sharpen my skills, my skills of trust and receptivity right, to his will in my life. But I would say that my feminine genius, gosh, how I discovered that I didn't even know what the word meant until I read JP 2s Theology of the Body. And I was like, oh, okay. And so when I read a little bit further and kind of love and responsibility and like what had inspired him to write Love and Responsibility, I came across Edith Stein. I was like, this woman just captures everything that I admire about women in professional fields. A woman who's strong, who's incredibly intelligent, but most importantly, is incredibly passionate. And how All of those three things really led her to religious life, really led her to her vocation. She couldn't have been who she was without those other three things. Mm -hmm. And I think for me personally, there's a lot of myths, I think, in the Catholic world that to exercise your feminine genius, you have to stay home and Mm -hmm. have lots of babies and things. like. And I think all of that is good. And definitely some people are called to that. Well, I personally am not. And so for her to be this symbol of this other type of woman, to me, it was very reassuring and really confirmed like, hey, I'm doing what I need to do in my life. And I may not be a full-time stay-at-home mom. I'm doing this in my work and that's okay. I'm being maternal in my work and I don't have to try to do that. It's just a part of who I am. It really provide a lot of reassurance that I'm doing what I need to do to help God's kingdom, firstly. But secondly, that I don't have to try too hard to do it because it's just a part of who I am.
0: And I think, yeah, just as you had referenced earlier, the quote from St. Edith Stein about how the world needs us as we are. We don't need to pretend to be something or someone that we're not. But also, we don't need to try very hard. Because the Lord has already instilled within us different parts of our identity. And as you're saying, there are certain callings that some women are called to, but that is not the one and only. Mm-hmm. And I keep reminding myself and other people that the world would be so boring if we're all the same (laughs) so it really is a gift and maribel it really is a gift to speak with you today to have all of this encouragement and as we close would you be able to lead us
1: in a prayer sure in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit amen lord i'd like for you to take care of the listeners today and for you to sit in their hearts and whisper I'd like for you to help open their ears and their mouths and their hands and their feet so that they can hear your voice, they can speak your voice, and they can do your work. I'd like to say a special prayer for all those people who are hurting and who are in your wounds. And we ask that you send someone to be there in the wounds of Christ with these people and show them a glimmer of hope in the same way that light shone from your wounds. You know that these people are important in our world and that they need someone to speak hope for them. Please place this person in their lives that they may feel a desire to grow, to become healthy, and to do your work today. Amen. Amen. Maribel, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I think I'm going to have to take some time to reflect on what we talked about today.
0: (laughs) My thanks again to Maribel Laguna for joining me on the Feminine Genius Podcast today. I learned a lot from my conversation with her and I hope you did as well. You can learn more about In His Image Counseling by checking out their website, ihicounseling.net, and you can also find them on Facebook and Instagram. And they also have a wonderful YouTube channel where you can watch more informative videos on some of the things that Maribel and I talked about, as well as countless other topics in the realm of mental health and faith. I've left links to all of these in the episode description below. For the Feminine Genius Podcast, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're at Pod, and you can listen to this podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and many other platforms. All this information can be found on our website, FeminineGeniusPodcast.com. We'll talk to you soon, and God bless always.